This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. Hi, I'm Will Margoloff. I'm the CEO of Ignition One. Uh, happy to be here. And I think the thing that I love most about being an entrepreneur, quite frankly, is the ability to change every single day. And every day is something new. And so for me, it's that excitement. Every day you get up, some new challenge, some new opportunity is arriving. And you have to rally the troops. And sometimes those are internal. Sometimes those are external. Sometimes those are in New York. Sometimes those are in one of our 10 offices globally. But there's a lot that goes on to it. And that's actually the most exciting thing for me. It's just the, the everyday changing um, nature of our business and how we adapt to it. The journey of building a successful and relevant company through strong strategic decisions, working with the right people, and staying grounded, not an easy task. Coming up, you'll hear from the CEO and founder of an award-winning customer intelligence platform who's done exactly this. You'll hear about strategy versus making it happen, educating to open minds on topics, why it's important to surround yourself with people smarter than you, why traveling matters, and buying a company, then selling it, and then buying it again. All this on location at the Ignition One Summit in Brooklyn, New York. You're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, powered by Sennheiser and recorded on location. Here are your hosts. Uh, Will, welcome to the show. We're really very thrilled to have you on the mic. Thank you so much. And uh, with me, of course, Pavan Ball. Hey, you. And I'm Mark Waco. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Will, I'd like to lead off with this question. You built a company. You started a company. You built it with other people. Uh, the question is, how would you say your initial vision of the company as you started it and what it meant to you, what it was supposed to do? Sure. 17 years later, I believe? Yeah, uh, there's been different iterations. I would okay. say I'll, I'll go back maybe just the last eight. Okay. So, so from whatever point in time you want to start, yep this uh this the answer to this question how is it transformed in that time and, and 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 what does it mean differently to you and i i'd also like to piggyback on that even the name of the company what it may have meant to you then versus what it means now sure so again i, I think i'll go back to 2010 i think there's lots of things we did even before that were really innovative but the initial premise of the company was to bring together disparate pieces of technology into a single stack we actually didn't know that we were building the first marketing cloud mm. back in 2010. That's really what we were doing. We had search technology that helped you manage across search uh, channels like Google and Yahoo and, and Microsoft, AOL, Ask Jeeves, mm -hmm. some others that no one ever remembers. Uh, you know, and then we had some personal. I Ask yeah, Jeeves. Yeah, Ask Jeeves, the guy with a little butler and everything. It was incredible. And they had. Um, and we had actually then also built some other technology to help personalize websites. Mm -hmm. So help with the customer journey that was happening post-click. And so we said, wouldn't it be great if we actually take that technology and integrate it together? So you have um, technology that helps you manage media, search, and we also had display advertising. And then manage the performance of that traffic on the marketer's site and help them convert it. Mm -hmm. And so we said, why don't we integrate these things together into a single sign-on, single reporting system, and that actually would then be essentially an easier way for a marketer to buy um, some of these disparate pieces of technology. That initial premise was really good, and I remember sitting on top of uh, a table somewhere, and I was giving a company uh, presentation basically saying, I'm not going to get off this soapbox. I know this is right. This yeah. is the right thing for the industry. You know, more technology from less vendors is going yeah. to be the wave of the future. Little did I know that small companies like Oracle and Salesforce and yeah. Adobe would think the same thing. And quite frankly, um, started to aggregate their own point solutions into a single stack. And surely enough, Adobe really came up with this idea of a marketing cloud. 
And so the interesting part of our evolution as a business is that we went from trying to figure out how to integrate all these point solutions into a single stack to realizing about three years ago that they were all becoming commodities. Mm -hmm. And... You know, that's difficult to swallow sometimes when you feel like you have the best solution out there. How big is your company at this point? Today we have about 350 employees. And in 2010? Um, 200 maybe. Okay, so a pretty sizable yeah. company at so this we, point. So you are, to grow. you are in the competitive sandbox with Adobe at this point and a Salesforce or whatever it might be. Yeah, I mean, I think the evolution is, is that <clears throat> that initial concept of having an integrated stack was is right and still right. Mm -hmm. But quite frankly, marketers aren't buying it. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges with a smaller company like ours compared to some of those big guys is we can't afford to continue to put our limited resources against something that um, isn't growing as fast as we want it to grow. And it's... Only because marketers, quite frankly, weren't willing well, to accept. Well, there was hesitation. Yeah. They, they, Everyone was fearful of their job. And right? listen, they're still not doing it today, right? Th this is not anything new. This is from the beginning of time. Everyone is like is fearful yeah. of, of the change that technology can bring as opposed to adapting within, trying to get ahead of it. Um, yeah, yeah, this so, is just the yeah. This is everyone's kind of I guess on the sales side for you that that's going to yeah, be yeah. That's what your, we discovered is that the ad adaptation to this type of technology was just too slow going. Yeah, and so really three years ago, what we discovered is the point solutions that we had built and integrated together were great, and quite frankly, more integrated than any other solution out there. It really didn't matter. Yeah. Right. What mattered was what was the end result for the solutions we were providing to our marketers and what was the key components of that end solution or uh, the components that ended that solution. And what we found is that uh, things like scoring, proprietary user scoring, things like mm -hmm. audience creation, leveraging data and data Polling. science, um, you know, these optimization of media and experiences, these were the things that actually glued these point solutions together. That became the central component of what we call customer intelligence. And so we pivoted, I hate using that word, but uh, really three years ago to say our core um, capabilities are going to be on proprietary capabilities, not commoditized point solutions. Because point solutions like search management, mm -hmm. DSPs for programmatic, mm -hmm. even DMPs, even content management systems, email, etc. That stuff is not really hard to produce anymore. And yeah. there are a thousand guys in each one of those categories. What's really difficult is understanding who to deliver that message to, what channel delivered on, you know, what it should say, what the offer should be. Was right? this an was, aha moment that you just make a quick swivel onto, or is this uh, something that's been brewing over time and you said, no, it's getting more and more like obvious that this is, this is uh, the direction. I think when we, we lost take. our like 10,000th RFP, yeah, you're like, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, yeah. okay, we're not going to win. Even though we got a better product, we're yeah. not going to win this DSP mm. single point solution RFP that exists out there because we don't have green buttons yep. and the client wants red buttons, you know, um, or we, ha we don't have green buttons. They want green buttons. So, you know, I think there's, um, there's just a natural evolution in digital marketing. And I think what we tried to do is create solutions that now sit above the point solutions that are the smarts behind it. Customer intelligence is really up there, not mm -hmm. sitting down in any individual point solution. Now, all the things that you, you mentioned, Will, those, those are all fast-moving targets that are just constantly changing. So how do you think with the company and sort of the, 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 the ethos of the company about solving a problem of today while thinking ahead because you know that tomorrow the need is going to have changed or the people will have changed or sure. the culture will or trend will have changed. Well, you need, I think you need to have two things. You need to have innovative partners, and by that I mean marketers that you work with. And I think we truly do have that. They push us to get better and smarter. And then I think as an entrepreneur, you have to surround yourself with people who are smarter than you are. Um, very... You know, you have to do that. That's why Pavin keeps me around. That's 100%. <laughs> right. You know how it is, guys, right? Like, you have to do this kind of stuff because, you know, your opinion is one opinion, but you need yeah. to have, you know, a well-rounded team of people who can do different things. you got to lean on them to help you be successful. So I think part of it is just making sure you surround yourself with real industry experts. From, from your level, how, how intimate is the client relationship to you? 
you know I mean? Like, if, are you getting this back and forth um, communication and kind of insight? Because I could see just by your comment is you're moving and shaking with the priorities and needs of your client, obviously. Yeah. Um, how close are you to that process? I'm extremely close because I'm an yeah. executive sponsor on some of our biggest accounts. We feel mm. it's very important that our executives are in touch with what our clients' needs are. And so I'm out at our clients all the time. I travel all the globe and see them in Europe or see them, you know, in, in the U.S. Early on, you were building. You were probably hands-on. Has your role changed quite a bit? Like, what's your role today? I think it's still... Is it evan- like evangelist or... I, I wish it was just evangelist, um, but, you know, everyone's got to be selling. Yeah. So I think if you have a C title in your name that you're a seller. Yeah. And... Um, so I spent a lot of my time with customers talking about our existing capabilities, future capabilities, listen to feedback from them, see how that fits into our roadmap. I also am on prospect sales calls and, um, you know, culturally I'm around every office Mm -hmm. and we have offices in 12 different countries. At least once a year, I'm in every office. Do people freeze up when you come around? No. Sure? They might have, but now they don't anymore. They're like, oh, it's just Will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because, you know, it's different. Our, off- our offices glo- uh, internationally are smaller. Yeah. Right? So I'll go to our Paris office, and we have 15, yeah. 18 people there. New York's pretty big. Yeah, New York's 100. Yeah. Atlanta's over 100. Um, it's a comfortable 100, though. It looks lo- like you have, a nice, uh, you have a nice spot over there. Cool wallpaper, too. Yeah, we've had some interesting <laughs> offices in New York. This is, uh, I think this is like, Back to the past for yeah. me <laughs> a little bit. It reminds me of our offices on 18th Street mm-hmm. back in 2002, 2004. You know, really wide open stuff, which is interesting. Yeah. So, but you know, you know, when everybody else is happy, I'm happy. Ha- have you generals all- eat last? You yeah. know that, right? So, like, if they're comfortable, yeah. I'm comfortable. It's a good way to put it, actually. I like that. Um, when so you're you're a pretty young looking guy. Um, We've had another couple of your colleagues on mic um, earlier in this conference, and um, I've heard as north of 17 years this conference is going on alone. So uh, I'm wondering, did you ever hold like a like? Have you always been a tinkerer and an entrepreneur, or did you have a steady kind of career path when you you know early early on? Well, there's there's the traits that create the entrepreneur, which we could go into back. Mm-hmm. Um, in my coin collecting days and my mo- lawn mowing days where I advertised in my neighborhood and suddenly had 50 lawns to mow. I'm like, my now is little- this uh, teens, uh, pre-teens? This is like, or- I think 13. Yeah. I put flyers out and I got 50, 50 yeses and I yeah. had to recruit an army of my buddies to do the lawn mowing. Nice. So uh, I got 10 bucks, they got 10 bucks, <laughs> everyone was happy. Now, to me, this actually uh, segues nicely into a question I have for you. Um, Your name is Will, um, which, uh, you know, has has a lot of different meanings as an actual word. And it it kind of makes me think about the nature of a successful entrepreneur, which is part strategy and part force of will Uh, and, uh, and, you know, just work ethic. So how much, both from a personal standpoint, and do you think the ability for Ignition One to have succeeded has come from just downright good strategy? And how much of it has come from just people rolling up their sleeves and figuring it out and making it happen? Listen, I think there's a combination of both. I mean, we're not Apple, right? You know, a guy like Jobs dragging the entire company Mm -hmm. force of nature. Um, you have to have in this day and age, especially with the workforce the way it is, I think you need to have a lot of people who believe in what you're doing. And I think we've always had this idea that um, our job is to make marketers successful. We do that through a combination of technology and services. Sometimes, you know, they don't really even understand what we're doing for them. They just see the end result and the end result is great. But, you know, the vision of what we want to do has morphed and changed over time. And sometimes we've been ahead of ourselves in a lot of ways. And you have to drag people along with you until they get it. But you have to always start with a core group of people who get it and are with you. And then usually it's just dragging a bunch of folks along um, until everyone kind of gets on, on board. But 
I don't think it was just a me thing, but I've been pretty determined in my life to, to be successful back to some of these things we were just talking about. And I just always knew that if you worked hard, um, you were going to be in the right place at the right time. And I think a lot of us were lucky enough. And I, I got into digital in 1995. I sold a banner ad in 1995. Really? Yes. When was the advent of the internet? 92? 94. 94? The first Jeez. ad was sold on Wired, or Hot Wired, I guess it was, by mm-hmm. the guys at Moto Media and AT&T. Were you just a computer head? No, like just, not at all. I was just a determined sales it? guy. <laughs> yeah, but 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 you must like beyond a determined sales guy, you could have just continued looking at lawns. You know what I mean? So, like why well, why a banner? Well, crazy enough. So I graduated in '92, and then um, I got a job in a very low tech field, mm. the invisible pet fence field. Oh, oh, all right, yeah, I remember. It was just high frequency noise, right? Yes, where it just kind of alerts. So like, in, invisible fence, that. which was the guys who were the originators of yeah. that concept, their patent expired. And there was another company that came up, and somehow I got connected to these two entrepreneurs up in Boston, and I became their traveling sales guy. So I drove all over the place and went to pet stores and fence companies. I mean, it was a real... Well, you were already a lawn expert. So right, you know, right, right. I knew how to make sure that, oh, look, <laughs> look at this. Yeah. So, you know, I cut my teeth on trying to um, sell these $2,000 packages to you know, pretty rough group of guys. And I think that ended up being really great for me from a communication perspective and dealing with people and different types of people. But late 94, I started um, working for a company that had space on AOL, Prodigy, and CompuServe, Mm -hmm. which were the three original, you know, kind of online services. And it was like selling ad space in their e-commerce areas. So we would call like, the guys in the back of Popular Mechanics magazine. You'd call them and try to explain to them what we were talking about, and no one could quite understand it. And then as the uh, web came along, and they opened up a browser that could use the web, and you could graphically view sites, Mm -hmm. we opened a store on the web. On Netscape. Was it Netscape? Netscape was the original, um, Mosaic or Netscape. And then... um, Long story short, I was at that company for a little bit, and then I opened the New York Times on a Sunday, the really thick five-inch Help yeah. Wanted section. Yeah, absolutely. And the first ad was internet advertising sales. It was the only one in the entire Help Wanted section. And I called these guys up, and they were. it was a site called Jumbo.com, and it was a freeware and shareware site where you could download software. Essentially, it was a directory. Yeah pointing to all these universities that had all the software available. And I went in for an inter- interview, and then a week later, the guy called me. goes, you're hired as the manager. Like, <laughs> yeah, because you like, knew yeah. what the internet was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was Literally. like, oh, shit. Yeah, all right, <laughs> you sounds know? great. <laughs> I know I'm 24, and uh, I'm the manager of a bunch of 22-year-olds. <laughs> and we started, we took the Computer Shopper book, which was the big Ziff Davis um, mm-hmm. You know, technology book, and we I ripped it in five different piles and handed it out to my sales reps. And I said, "Find out who makes the national advertising decisions for these companies." For and that's how we started. But I got lucky. That was just hard work. Got me to a really interesting yeah. intersection in the world. Quite so frankly, your background wasn't tech at all. No, and it's funny. People are always like, "Can you help me with my computer?" I'm like, "No, I'm an ad guy. I have no <laughs> yeah, idea what you're no talking about." Clue. Right. Wow. Excellent. Entrepreneurista, a woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurstapodcast.com. 
first half of this uh, recording, we talked a lot about your, uh, well, not a lot about your journey, but about your journey a bit uh, leading up to Ignition One, early stage internet, um, and then from 2010 to 2017. So there's a bunch that happened in between that we didn't really get to. In between breaks, we had talked a little bit about it, but it, it seems that you've had so many milestones in your path towards where you are today that are extremely unique and not unique in the sense that individually they're unique, but it's unique in the sense that you have gone through a lot of them so buying companies acquiring them meaning uh selling them uh fundraising just like a ton a ton of stuff can you walk through um kind of a timeline of uh of kind of what you've gone through in the last say 15 years sure so I'd probably bring it back a little bit farther than that I was really lucky in the fact that I was at the web 1.0 stage right mm -hmm. so you know, I was at these entrepreneurial companies at the beginning of the commercialization of the Internet. And that was really a huge benefit to get my managerial experience. And I was a shouter. 26, yeah, I was like a yeller and shouting and screaming. But, you know, you, you learn that that's probably not the most As effective way to manage. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Over time, you realize that's not the yeah. best way to manage. But um, the fact of the matter is it gave me a lot of experience. And I was really fortunate in the fact that one of the companies that I worked at in 2002, really decided they didn't want to be in the advertising business. And I had built up a group there, and we had the f uh, fortune, really, of being able to buy that group. Mm -hmm. Now, we bought it for about a million dollars. Who's we? Uh, me and a bunch of managers. We kind of yeah. cobbled together the money, and we had some outside investors who helped us. And we put together about a million dollars, and we bought this business, which was doing about ten million of revenue. And this was a negotiation inside of the company itself. Inside so of the you company, you had to first conspire for a while between the management team. You had to. Well, it wasn't really conspire. They decided that they didn't movie. want to be in the business. <laughs> Has a negative connotation. <laughs> and then we had to scramble really quickly before they shut the business got down because they it, felt it. it was worthless, yeah. and we thought there was real value here. Mm -hmm. um, so, long story short, is we actually bought that business back. Yeah. for about a million bucks and that was 2002 and in 2005 we sold it for 120 million dollars oh say word so wow. my investors who gave us most of the money made a lot of money yeah 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 um, one gentleman you know salt of the earth super guy really believed in us it was a little bit more than a million bucks but he gave about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars of the million of the million wow. a little bit more than a million but and he made um about 62 million dollars so it was a nice return for him. Um, but we had a crazy thing happen to us after we sold the business. About a month and a half after we sold the business to a publicly traded company that was uh, $8 billion market cap, they had a stock scandal in Japanese company, and they were delisted. Wow. So they get delisted mm -hmm. quickly off the, the Nikkei or the T Tokyo yeah. Stock Exchange. And... We scrambled throughout 2006 thinking that we're going to buy the same exact business we just sold. We're going to buy it back. Let's go. So the interesting yeah. thing is in, in early 2007, we then raised money from ourselves and yeah. some outside investors, private equity guys, and we bought the business we had just sold for $120 bucks. We bought it back for 30 Spitfire sale. And, you know, along the way, even in between that and prior to selling the first time, we had bought a bunch of companies. Um, one that many folks might know is 360i, which is digital marketing agency. And my partner and I, Brian Weiner, when we thought about strategically buying that, we knew that there was something about blending services and technology together that was going to make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And that's been in our DNA the whole time that we've run our business. But, you know, post... Um, buying the business back for $31 million. We then continued to put our head down and we bought it in 06, uh, sorry, early 07. And then remember what was going on in 07, 08 yeah, financial crisis. Right. So sure. it was, everyone was hiding under their desk. We decided that we were not going to cut staff. We were going to invest in the future. We made two strategic acquisitions mm -hmm. in 2008 
Um, in 08, you did. Yeah, we bought two businesses in 08. You so were we negotiating were... these in 07, though? 07, 08. Oh, yeah. shit. Because Bear had already been They imploded. Done. The whole thing, the, the skies were Q2, falling. Lehman was Q2, I guess, or Q1 or Q2. Yeah, the sky was falling, but yeah. we knew that you know, the internet wasn't a fad. Marketing on the internet was not a fad. Things were changing. Speeds were changing. Access speeds. Devices were coming about. And so we just said, this is a time to double down on what we're doing. And so as we exited kind of into, you know, later 09, per se, half of uh, second half of 09, we were growing like a weed and everyone else was just trying to get their strategy going again. Mm -hmm. And so we really invested into that downturn and it really paid off from a business perspective. And then in late 2009, we sold the business to Dentsu. Oh, to, I'm sorry? Dentsu. Mm -hmm. So those guys bought the business. Uh, which was really a collection of technology assets and our agency, 360i. And so they bought that $31 million. I'm not sure I can even say what it was, but it was yeah, hundreds, hundreds of yeah. millions of dollars. So a great return again for our investors. Um, but also I think a validation of a lot of the hard work and strategy we had as an executive team to try and say, these are the right things we need to be doing for marketers. And like, let's not compromise that vision and yeah. keep doing it. When you got to the point, excuse me for interjecting, but when you got to the point of being able to have a deal like that, uh, an exit like that, uh, or, a, a, you know, that was an exit. Yes. Yeah, it was an exit. Mm-hmm. When, when you got to a point, Will, of having an exit like that, what was, what was that like? What was that uh, of something of, of that, that size, that caliber? Yeah. Uh, what was yeah. the process like uh, of, of actually uh, going through it uh, as one of the you know, leaders yeah. of the company, yeah. um, absorbing the fact that this was happening and the kinds of also responsibilities that you were taking on yeah. through that exit. Can you touch on that a little was bit? Was it different from the first time? Well, there's kind of a couple of funny stories, two different stories. Uh, when we sold the first time, I remember I was the only one in the office when the signed paperwork was faxed to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which That's is funny. To a jig? Or? My, dad still, my dad still uses a fax Fax machine. came in, rolled it off happens. the machine, and it was Japanese company. So I was in the office super late, and I pick it off the machine, and I'm running around like, oh, like what the, what the no fuck one's fuck? here. No <laughs> one's here. I can't celebrate with anybody. Yeah, yeah. And I remember taking the, the train home, and I had uh, one-year-old twins. And I remember walking, creeping into my yeah. apartment, and I was like... Shit, I forgot the diapers. Uh, yeah. oh. <laughs> so I turned around and I left. And I'm thinking to myself, I just, I've got this piece of paper that we just made it. 120x. Um, <laughs> right. And a huge return, right? Yeah. And so now I'm just going to go get the diapers and crawl into bed. So part of it is, I think you can't get too crazy about these things and you have to stay grounded. Um, the biggest thrill that time was how many, at that point in my life, how many millionaires I made. Yeah. Isn't that an amazing thing? It was like so cool so to think yeah. about cool. millionaires, yeah. thousandaires, whatever they yeah. may be. It was just like putting money in people's pockets that were working hard that alongside. believed in you. Believed in what we were doing as a business. That's right. I think the second time around, the numbers got much bigger. Um, the, the top line numbers got bigger. Percentage-wise, probably different. Yeah, not, they, but, they yeah. weren't because we could own less. Answers. Right, we could own less of of it the second time around. But it was a still still the same type of feeling, which is it was a, a responsibility to get the best deal we possibly could, mm-hmm. um, which could yield the greatest results for the investors in the company. And what we learned after the first time around is that the importance of of uh, employee ownership and not just options. When we sold. The second time, we had 80-something employees who put money into buying the oh, business. Oh, that's cool. Everybody was in. So we had a lot oh, of guys. Almost almost half the company had actually put their money wow. into the company to try and buy it back. And that's a philosophy we have with Ignition One when we spun out of Dentsu. Uh-huh. Um, we have an, a 65, I think, employees who own equity in the company, plus Mm -hmm. their options and all the options we hand out to folks. But that's an important part of it because that's an alignment thing, right? How do you get people aligned around this? Um, How many people, if any, are still around from those earlier exits? Oh, tons. Really? Out of the 80? At at Ignition 1, there's probably 
50. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, we've got some good disciples. Yeah. You know, that believe in kind of what we're doing and, and the things we're innovating and, and spearheading in, in the digital marketing space. And I think um, you, you guys know how it is. When you find the right people and everyone trusts each other, they know that I'm going to look out for them, try to guide the company. Yeah. I know they're going to sell. I know this guy's going to build a product. You have to have people around you who you can trust mm -hmm. to be, you know, an effective team, effective um, company. So, as, as just uh, circling back to something that you said, as you um, as people started buying into the company, did you notice? Did it affect their performance or? the type of input that you were getting from them once they became owners? Well, we, we didn't offer equity to everybody that okay. they could buy in from. First of all, you have to be an accredited investor, which cuts right. a lot of folks out. But, sure. But the effort is definitively there. They go the extra mile um, when they've got their own dollars and cents in it. It's not just this nonsense I hear all the time, my sweat equity. Right. This is like the biggest investment many of these guys have <laughs> behind their house. Yeah. It's the most amount of money they have yeah, Sometimes in they're renting. You yeah. I mean? well, like, and then it's their car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but like... Although, yeah. although arguably they spend more time there than their house. That's yeah. true. <laughs> but, but there's an effort level that comes with putting your own dollars in something. Not just your time and effort, which is the norm, but also your dollars into it that really changes people's work habits for the better. You know, especially if you're trying to align towards a goal, which is, you know, we have an interesting team here, right? Guys love what they're doing. They love the, the work we do on behalf of the marketers, but they're also going to be sensible investors. And so we have a dual role and dual responsibility, at least I do as CEO, to think about our business as an investor, but also as a chief executive officer, right? All right. So let's talk about the Ignition One Summit. Uh, what What is its origin? What made you guys decide, okay, we got to do this, we got to invest in this? And what is its place in your overall mission? Sure. So this summit, I think we're in our seventh or eighth year. Wow, that's really something. And Congratulations. we've been, been in numerous cities all over the country, I think. Has the food always been this good? Food has been. We've been in New Orleans. We've been in Austin. We've been in you Chicago. Yeah, we always embrace the local, which is great. I think the idea behind this is maybe a little different than other other shows. Um, there is less um, selling going on from our perspective. There's more industry knowledge. It's almost like an industry show as Mind opposed to bit, yeah. yeah, as opposed to a you know a summit about our company. Content's been great. Yeah, and that that to me is important. So it's it's not just. What about digital marketing? It's mm -hmm. also about opening and expanding people's minds about other topics, which I think is really good. I think the Gen uh, Z conversation that uh, just went on really is one of those things. That it's was not tremendous. just about yeah. you know how to reach those folks, but it's like how to deal with anybody from that generation. Um, well, not not only the, so I, I got the opportunity to uh, moderate a panel on the audio boom and sure. how to connect your customer through you know podcasting or audio as a as a macro and i thought just first of all that's something that i'm very passionate about i see it but it's early and i thought that the curation of content here was really um yeah um leading the charge, thank you, you know? thank you. i mean i think that's we're good. trying to educate people and expand their minds about digital Mm -hmm. not just digital marketing. So the idea really was baked in that. Of course, we, we want people to hear from some of our other marketers. We've got multiple solutions. They might hear about something they could be doing that they're not doing today. So I think there is a big opportunity for us to continue to have people um, cross-sold here. But the main objective is about providing some value, continued value to them. And that's really why we've done it. So, so who's, who attends this conference? What kind of people are you finding sure. uh, it mostly attracts and maybe how that's changed over time? And, and so we do actually two a year. We do one in Europe and we do one in oh, the United okay. States. And it's, it's interesting because this one appears to be more intimate, right? Yeah. Uh, we have very large enterprise customers in the United States, very big brands. In Europe, we have very big brands, but it's a fragmented marketplace. So you might have, you know, fiat in three countries show up because mm -hmm. it's not a centralized marketing effort. And so we might have three times as many people in Europe as we yeah. do in the U.S. Um, but the type of people who are coming are direct 
you know, customers, and those big brands are really the ones that are coming. It is mostly a customer. Yeah, it's, it's customers. Uh, less so, there's a few agencies that might show up here, but the majority of this is direct to brand because that's our business in the U.S. You also have an agency focus, right? You have a product that sells into agencies as well. Well, it's really a team, right? Yeah. So if you, you thought about the example of it's a channel. Agencies are a channel for us. So to the end consumer. Sure. Yeah. So when you think about uh, technology like our display technology, mm-hmm. you know the best way to sell that through to an agent, you know, yeah. to uh, a lot of customers is through their agency. Yeah, because it's um, more of a holistic uh, plan that they're putting in place already. Yeah, they're so putting a together a plan. It. It's going to be a piece. So, yeah. you know, it's it's another way for us to tap into uh, marketers that we can't get access to, but you know, obviously. A lot of our efforts from a sales perspective are direct to the marketers and in key verticals, right? So telco, uh, travel, mm-hmm. retail, and auto are the three three or four big ones. How many products do you guys have at Ignition One, distinct products? So it's – I would say we have products that solve the biggest problem in those verticals. Yeah. Um, but we're helping them really in search, social, and display. So we really classify that as managed media. Um, and that would be a solution, and it's powered by some of this customer intelligence that we have, layered into partner technology like Got a it. Kenshu, Got or it. our own DSP, or maybe somebody else's DSP mm-hmm. if that's being used by the customer, or a social platform. Um, so you know we will look at managed media as a product, but we also have things like programmatic display where we have our own bidders and technology. Uh, we obviously have uh, personalization capabilities where we help people optimize conversions on their website. And all of this is fueled by the data product, which is essentially on the first-person data as well as um, triangulating that with cookies and Absolutely. user activity yep. on the site. Absolutely. Got it. Very interesting stuff, yeah. man. This has been tremendous. So now you're at about 350-some-odd employees yep. globally, 12 offices you mentioned? 12 offices, yep. Wow. How does So reflecting on this, we're, first of all, kind of what are what are the major learning points you're going to take away and, and carry forward with you as you continue to grow this? And what are your ambitions to, to grow it, if at all, in the sense of team? Yeah, well, listen, I think um, you got to be smart about entering marketplaces. That's number one. Um, make sure you have a viable product for that market before you expand. But did you? is that a learning lesson? That's that a learning lesson. Yeah. Hard way? Hard way for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've closed down offices, offices that were profitable. It's just too difficult to to scale them and to manage them uh, remotely. And so you have to kind of consolidate a little bit. When you reflect on those times that you had to close down, do you think you waited too long or you did it at the right always. time? Yeah, always. Yeah, that's true. It's always. Should have been day two. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, we're, yeah. we're great, I think, internally at communicating the good stuff and the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, we definitely are conscious of, you know, when we're doing things like that, they affect people. You know, it's not just the bottom line. It's yeah. like people are affected, and so we're pretty conscious of of that kind of thing. But um, listen, to me, uh, how we grow, how we move forward, what do we have to do um, as a business, I think we need to be focused, right? And I think more than anything, um, what we've been able to do over the last 36 mon- months, which has been decommissioning point solution technologies that were commodities to, to focus our energies on the things that really matter to a marketer. That to me has been really probably the most exciting thing we've done in the last mm-hmm. several years. Um, we've seen revenue continue to grow while we've decommissioned whole solutions, whole yeah. products. Yeah. And that's a testament to the work that the guys are doing on the front lines with customers and prospects. Um, and the guy's building the new stuff right behind yeah. the scenes. But I think it's, you know, focus is definitely an important thing, not only geographically being focused, but product focus is super important. What is, um, like, what's the company culture around, like, how you uh, not disseminate information, but essentially just uh, be united? So well, do I think you have like a town hall? Do you like? Yeah, we do town halls. We do company meetings. Um, we do company meetings once a quarter, go over results. But we have court, uh, monthly newsletters that go out mm-hmm. that give kind of an update on who we won, where we are to budget. Yeah. Um, do you keep it in the bathrooms? 
It used to be in the bathrooms. That works, man. Above the urinals. Yeah, yeah, it works. We did those a long time ago. I didn't. I used well, to say, it's a long read for a urinal, but it's a, it's, it's a good read for the toilet. Well, these were more about like making sure everyone understood what our benefits were mm-hmm. or when the next Lunch and Learn was. That's right. We do, we do almost every week we do educational series, global education series on what we do. Mm-hmm. might be a solution we provided to a marketer. It might be bringing some third party in to talk about something. So, you know, we've done a really good job in my, in my estimation of communicating. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's obviously areas of improvement yeah. that you need to have and creating culture across 12 different offices and or 17 offices in 12 countries should have said that um, is pretty difficult. <laughs> Do you and have so, a culture officer or anything like that? Like somebody we, that we actually don't, takes that? We mm-hmm. don't. Um, like I said before, I, I go to all the offices at least once a year yeah. and spend time with folks. And, and I, you stop yelling at everybody. Yeah, that happened a long time 24. ago. The kids, at 24, the kids, you stopped. Yeah, the kids, uh, when you have kids, you realize that everybody's a kid, even yourself, and right. you have to deal with them very differently. But, you know, culturally, it's, it's a challenge to have businesses across the world, across the globe. It's, you know, pretty easy to have a one-office, one-product company. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes sure. I wake up dreaming that it, that's what's happened, but we don't have that. Um, because that would be really easy. It wouldn't be as challenging, quite frankly, professionally. And I enjoy what I do. So, um, But that is the biggest challenge for us. How do we get consistency across there? And you're never going to get it to 100%, but you do the best you can. And, right? and how about you personally? Um, you, know, you mentioned your kids. Do you, uh, do you incorporate family into um, you know, the, the business that you're doing internationally? Because I could imagine that you're traveling quite a bit and I'm wondering how you bring them along or just carry their spirit with you. Yeah, they're, they're too old now for them to travel and miss <laughs> school. You know, they'd probably yeah. be pissed off. But um, when I can do it, they do come. So that my, my wife and has been to Europe with me, to Asia with me. Yeah. Kids have been to Asia and Europe with me at various times. Um, but I also um, do pretty hectic travel. Yeah. So I can get my myself back home. You, so are you the type that does like hectic travel and then long stints at home? Or are you just kind of however it ends I up working out? I think through July or July company media I I had ninety days already gone. Already outside the office. Yeah. So how, how how many f- uh, frequent flyer miles are you carrying right now? So funny mm-hmm. enough, um I should be the highest you could be in Delta, which is Diamond. But since we have always been smart about leveraging our miles, oh. I travel on miles all the time. Yeah. So I never get my status, but you know, <laughs> that's one of those things. All right. This seems like a very appropriate moment to um, maybe talk a little bit less about Ignition One and a little bit more about Will. Okay. And we're going to do that when we come back with off-the-grid questions. We'll look at Will a little bit more on the human being side right after this. On location at the Ignition One Summit in New York. We will be right back. Hello, world. I'm George Manley, Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Solar. I have a background in broadcast journalism. I've traveled the world, and I love to write. But more than any of that, I love to have great conversations with interesting people. And I love to learn their stories. I am so thrilled to be working with really interesting people in the social commerce space as a result of this show. Solar is a place where brands and influencers create content to share with their consumer public. Each week, I'll be presenting a story from an interesting person in this space, and the goal is to learn something more about how this industry is evolving. The goal is to learn something more about the creatives behind the creator-influencer space, and the goal is to celebrate the community that is quickly forming on solar.com. I hope you'll enjoy this show. I hope you'll enjoy our conversations. I hope you'll give us feedback. And if your story is interesting enough, I hope you'll join us on another solar story, the art and business of influence. Solar Stories is presented by Solar Inc. And you can find more episodes of Solar Stories and learn more about solar at solar.com. Copyright 2018, Solar Inc., all rights reserved. 
Thank you for listening. Okay, well, let's get personal. Uh, it is time for... And now, it's time for Questions Off the Grid. With fashion is your business. That's right, off the grid questions, where we uh, ask questions, frankly, a little bit off the grid, a little more personal in nature. Uh, neither Puppet nor I have any idea what we're going to ask, actually. It'll kind of come to us in the moment. Uh, we also don't know the order we're going to ask the questions, as is a tradition on this show. We figure that out, even just with the two of us, by spin of our uh, truly incredible Wheel of Grid Destiny. We've carted it into Brooklyn from Manhattan. Uh, it was an effort, but I think it's worth it in this particular case. We're going to give it a big spin. Uh, thank you thank very you much. Thank you, Will. Yeah, appreciate that. And um, let's see. It is rolling and, about, and it is me. I'm interested where you find... Look, you've got 350 employees. You've got a number of countries. You've got all these offices. You've got things constantly changing. You have an untold number of clients. It's a busy, busy, full professional life. Plus, you know, two kids. So where and how and when are you able to find peace? What do you do to make sure that even in micro amounts becomes something you can you can locate and register so probably a couple different places the friday of every trip to europe when i sink into that seat after being in four countries in four days or five countries in four days in some cases that time where <laughs> i don't have to think about anything other than all these meetings i just had and the the ideas and the innovation that's streaming out of those meetings, that's really great time for me. Um, when I am either traveling or even here, I get up early almost every morning, and I work out, nice. uh, attempt to work out. I mean, the old guy workout now, but uh, do does something. Does that mean running? I can't run anymore because my <laughs> knee is shot. But uh, I, I, So even older guy working I out. walk on a treadmill at a huge incline oh, at nice. a great pace. That works. Um, and I often have my calls with our European guys at that time to try and leverage that time. But if I By don't... By the way, his calls are happening while he's at yeah, Solace. I, 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 that's I was that's say, his at piece. It's supposed to be great calls. <laughs> hey, guys, how's it going? And now I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> no, most of the time I'm on there, but it gives me a lot of time to reflect yeah. on what I need to be doing that week, that day, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and then I also think, you know, just some of this time of trying to manage your time better... And so I spent a lot of time, you know, when I'm at least in New York on the train. And that, that's, that's time where you can use it for emailing and scheduling and things that don't warrant FaceTime. Uh, but a lot of times what I'm doing is I'm literally just sitting there staring into space. Yeah. Meditating, as I like to call it. You can really have nothing to do um, and don't really have to think about anything other than just, you know, blank space. Yeah. Sorry, I'm stuck on this train. What can I do? Right, exactly. <laughs> um, do you, are, I, I'm imagining you're a guy that finds actually great relaxation in putting your house in order. So the cleaning of well, the email box or the, <laughs> I don't know. I just got a sense that maybe you're a, you can, you can deny it you if saw you like. You saw the dust buster earlier? I don't just, know. Just taking no. care of something. I think he's going technical yeah. house in order. No, yeah, yeah, what, yeah, I, what uh, I mean is, stuff. so I'll speak for myself. I'm, I'm someone that actually gets a great sense of relaxation when I know that, that my work is done or my, my, my emails are done or my schedule is in order or, or something like that. Yeah. That's, that's as good to me as a day off because, because no. the lack of disarray in my life or unfinished business – that, that means my brain is at activity. Yeah. Well, the best, the best um, time for you, quite frankly, is the time to get the sleep you need. And your brain won't let your, your body and Fair enough. go to sleep at night. And so I think I actually I do like the fact that I have less than 100 emails in my inbox. Because very, very organized. Yeah. And things 
are moving in all kinds of different directions. You, you don't want to see what's in line. Though. Right. You should it, look at his desktop. Actually. It bothers me when the, it gets over that. So I'm, I'm constantly trying to clean that up. But I think the mental cleanup is important too. And I never want to go to bed um, without writing down an idea. So things always come to me and That's I've got a, a pad of paper practice. That's over a on the right side of my bed. And when yeah. I get rid of it and I, I know I'm not going to yeah. forget it because I won't go to bed. Yeah. I'll think about that all once night. You, yeah. Once you write it down, then you're like, all right, I'm at peace. I could do this tomorrow. And now. so to me, That's the way I get to idea. sleep, Shit. I, I crank out everything that I'm thinking about. I put it on a piece of paper next to the bed and then I hit the pillow and I'm done. Oh my God. Otherwise you you're thinking, remember this, remember this, yeah, remember this. Don't Will, you may have changed my life just now. It's great. Just I'll, pen and paper next to the bed. I'll send done. you a pad of paper. Yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Easy. And for whatever reason, I'm going to give the wheel another spin. I think it's going to be me. I think could, it's be. Me. could be. Could be. I'm pretty. And it is. Imagine it's like it right is. in the middle. Like it, it's just here nor there. Just kind of <laughs> stuck on the pin. Uh, well, so out of the 12 um, uh, offices that you have, the cities that they reside in, um, where could, if, of course, you're here in Westchester in New York, uh, in the New York City area, where would you um, be inclined to move your entire family to for the holistic view of, of being there, enjoying the city, maybe it's school, whatever it might be? That was a question worth waiting for. That was like a deep question. I mean, the crazy thing is we're in all the greatest cities in the world, and we exited the Asian market after being there for a long time when we were in Tokyo, and that was an amazing city as well. But, you know, London, Paris, Munich, those are all great. I'd probably go Paris. Yeah? yeah. What, for what reasons? Yeah, why, why? It's so beautiful, Paris, and I think... There's so much culture there, and you can get everywhere from there, like really easily. And I love going by train is how I normally get around Europe. Two hours in any direction. Any direction no. from Paris. We have an office in Brussels. We have an office in London. We have an office a little harder to get there in Munich. Um, but, you know, those are some of the places that we've got offices in Europe, and it's, it's easy to get around from Paris. Do you personally think about moving? I think it's it's gone by for me because of the kids and their roots in our in our community and um, i lived in the same place my entire life went k to 12 yeah and it was an amazing experience and i have friends that have known me for 43 years since i was five years old right and that's uh i think it's a huge benefit to have that kind of you know group of friends that are always going to yeah. be there and i think my kids can have that yeah. but you have to lay down your roots to let let that happen for him. So for sure. A um, couple more years. I got two in high school and one in middle school, almost into high school. So yeah, another three, it's four happening years. soon. Excellent. Do you speak multiple languages? No. I and can, you find navigating no problem, obviously. No. I mean, I think everyone Google translate. Well, it's amazing. I think people really have honed in on English, of course, and I am yeah, blown away by some of our employees in our in some of these countries, they speak five, six, seven languages. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like nothing to them. And I am conscious of that fact when I talk to everybody about being, you know, I can only really speak. I can understand French and read French a little bit. And that obviously leads to Spanish and some other things. But, you know, for the most part, it's, it's English. And so I'm always conscious of that when I'm traveling internationally to speak slowly, make sure I get, you know, a head nod. Do you understand? Do you need me to break it down yeah. a little bit more? I'm also conscious of the time zone changes with a lot of our employees being in Europe. I want to do those meetings in the morning because I don't want them to be like, oh, you know, the Americans, they booked this meeting at 3 p.m. Yeah. East Coast it's time. 7 o'clock right now. It's yeah. 9 o'clock yeah. in Brussels or something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I am conscious of their hard work and sure. trying to pay attention to them. But I would, w I really wish I spoke another language. It would be quite helpful, but... Um, some of our employees are incredible. They they speak all these languages uh -huh. like it's nothing. Yeah, you know. And uh, just as a cherry on the Sunday here, I'm I'm curious. You, you spoke of your love of of Paris. Uh, is Paris the the greatest place that you've ever visited, or is there some place in the uh, world that has blown your mind? I'm a big history guy, so all those London and Paris are amazing. Um, Beijing and the Great Wall and like forbidden city like these Athens, places Rome. i've not been to to greece um rome's amazing i've been to rome i brought my kids to rome uh this year 
uh, you know, just the history in all those cities are just so incredible. And that's really what attracts me to all these places. I can get lost doing those things. Unfortunately, I never give myself any time yeah. to hang out in these cities. It's always like boom, 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 meeting, 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 on a train, on a plane, go to the next meeting. It does give you good you perspective, know. though, seeing those ancient structures and, and feeling feeling that presence. And I think the cultures, too. I think one of the things I, I try and get our guys to do who are in the U.S. is go experience another country's culture. I think you'll have a new appreciation for the world. Um, if you only, you know, know your own stuff, mm-hmm. you never know what else is going on in the world. And if you can do it, get over and check yeah. out how the Germans do it or the French or the Spanish or the English. And that's just, it, it makes you a more worldly person when you're speaking about work, politics, culture, whatever it may be. Do you have any type of uh, travel benefits or program at Ignition One to uh, empower employees to be able to do that? I mean, with international offices, we have guys flying all over the place all the time trying to, to spread best practices and, and process as well as um, institutional knowledge just going between offices, especially development. So we have development in Europe and we have development in the U.S. and we have development in, the, uh, in India. So trying to make sure that we've got appropriate folks traveling around is important. We Where do in do India is the uh, the office. Uh, I ask because my whole family's from India. Bangalore mm-hmm. and uh, Hyderabad. Sure, Hyderabad. Yep. Yeah. Um, in new city, like the the tech areas. I have not been to that office. Hyderabad's a really interesting place. But lots of lots of growth in the teams there. We've been expanding those teams there. It's such a interesting contrast between old and new there yeah i mean like something like i've never seen yeah anywhere else the um the thing about the uh the traveling between the offices the other thing we have been doing is we have been having folks apply for essentially they're like two weeks to a month stint in another office oh that's cool that's great and so like they an exchange program it's almost. basically an exchange program they still have to do their local work when they when they go so you know somebody from like say sao paulo might come up to new york they're still working local on their local stuff right but they have this ability to be around other teams that have expertise and to learn mm-hmm. and i think that's super powerful we'd like to do that more mm-hmm. but that's been really effective for us to do that you know someone looking from the outside i can imagine that that would be a huge draw to work for yeah. ignition one if you did have a defined um program like that we make people actually build a business case on why yeah. they should go for sure no no i understand which is great if like this is just yeah. seeding something yeah. as somebody just looking at this I, yeah. I, that is such a unique benefit that would be uh, extremely enticing for a lot of young talent yeah because I mean, everyone values see. experience yeah they get to right? see things oh experience is worth something <laughs> there we go <laughs> it is <laughs> something or the other to some of us. <laughs> so speaking of experience, as you look uh, back on your experience and the experience of this discussion, maybe you might like to offer a final thought or words of wisdom to share with our listeners. It could be about the things Ignition One is doing, about the industry in general, or just from a personal perspective. I think we've talked about Ignition One enough. I, I, my, my, my advice and really thoughts on just working is work hard. Put your time in when you can. Um, you know, it's super important to build your career when you don't have the obligations that you have later in your life, whether that's the mortgage on the house, the wife, the kids, the coaching, etc. cetera. Um, build your career when you can. Um, I, I'm a big believer in work-life balance, but I think when you're young, it's got to be tilted towards working and putting the right time and effort in to work puts you in a good position to be at that right place at the right time to get that lucky break. Yep. But if you're checking out at five o'clock, you're not going to be there when the boss comes looking for that last resource to help with that big project, whatever it may be, that's going to do the next Mm -hmm. day. And so I do think um, there's a lot of it, you know, it doesn't mean you have to work till eight o'clock, but you know, work hard and put the time in because you can't do it your entire life. 
hey, you're the one that got that fax because you were there. Everyone else had to hear about it from you. You saw it roll right. off the <laughs> roll off the machine. That's, right. That's a special moment. That was. <laughs> Until the diapers, of course. Yeah, the diapers were fun. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Will, what's the best way for people to connect with you and the things that you're doing with Ignition One? So, obviously, you could follow Ignition One um, on Twitter, um, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Facebook. But you can also contact me via LinkedIn pretty easily. You can find me. Uh, and follow me on Twitter too. So both of those are. There's not many Margoloffs in the world. So uh, <laughs> I pop full up. Name. Full name. W Margoloff, I think, is Twitter, and then Will Margoloff on LinkedIn. All right. Well, Will Margoloff, the CEO and founder of Ignition One. Uh, very truly a pleasure to be speaking with you and to go through your journey with you. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Uh, and by the way, uh, thanks for the opportunity to be here at the Ignition One Summit. It's really been impressive. Yeah, been food's great. great. Yeah. Also, also, the soundtrack's <laughs> been awesome. So talking about local, we walked in, and the, like, basically every track is Brooklyn native yeah. rappers, singers, artists. I got no great. sleep till Brooklyn. I got that was no mine. Sleep, <laughs> that was Spe- my beastie voice. Speaking of Brooklyn, there's nothing like drinking a, uh, a Brooklyn uh, lager across the street from, from the brewery. From the brewery. Yeah, you sure. know, so. yeah. It's enough. right there. Almost as good as drinking in the brewery. I so. got a, uh, a box of chocolates of all local chocolates. Did you know? That was pretty cool, yeah. That's good. You guys so. are yeah, killing it on the, uh, the, t- the small touches. Yeah, it, truly. All right, anyway, thank you, Will. Thanks, guys. Uh, that's it for this episode, everybody. Really appreciate you listening and sticking with us uh, through the whole episode. Uh, and we look forward to sharing more time with you again soon. So for Pub and Ball. Shake it easy. I'm Mark Rako. Have a great day. This has been Fashion Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Fashion Biz Show. That's Fashion B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, fashionisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. This is your announcer, Peter Coleman. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.